You're listening to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast. For more information, check out our website at www.shorelinecc.com. There we are. Hey, good morning, everybody. How are we doing? You enjoying the family day? Now, if you're getting a little bored right now during the sermon, I want to bring to your attention this amazing backpack. How many of you, you just get really bored during the sermon time? Okay, yeah, yeah. There's, there's my people. <laughs> I shared one time, never mind, I'll keep moving. But if you are, okay, I see you, Allison. If we have these wonderful packets that are available that have amazing things in it. So are there any kids here that maybe you're going, I didn't get one and you'd like to have one? Or an adult? Now is your chance. How's that for a sales pitch for my sermon today, huh? Great stuff inside there. Just a a big shout out to uh, Pastor Lindsay and her team. Isn't this amazing? What's going through here? Amazing. Well, as we wrap up First uh, John today, we're looking at First John chapter 5. If you get your Bibles, please. First John chapter 5, and we're focusing on verses 6 through 21 as we talk about the value of our testimony. How many know you got a testimony? You're ready to testify, okay? We're talking about testimony today, and part of my testimony is that I grew up in northeastern Canada on the island of Newfoundland, known for icebergs and polar bears and wonderful nature, uh, great tea country up there, Uh, but I was the last of eight kids, and when you're the last in a family, you're often called the the baby. There you go. You got it. I was the baby. How many babies we got out there? You're the last of your tribe, right? Okay. Now, as the baby, I was often, there were a lot of things that were said about me growing up, but some of the things that were often said about me was, and tell me if this resonates with you, as the baby of the family, you always get whatever you want. In other words, you're spoiled. That's not true, is it? Okay. Something else that was said I would have never gotten away with that. Mom and dad are much more lenient. Okay, so these are some lies I'm telling you today, all right? (laughs) And something else that my siblings would say to me being the baby, they would say, you never get in trouble. You always get away with everything, meaning that you can hide. Now, what I would say is, I I saw you get in trouble all the time and went, that's not how you do it. So I just have better technique going on. But one of the things going on that I often said was a picture, something like this, where they would often say to me, he did it. It was him who did it. Or maybe that was me saying it to the other person. Probably one of the three main words. Now, the other three words that were often said to me by my, my, my parents were, I love you. Siblings said that later on once they grew up. But often I found myself in this place of being accused. He did it. He did it. Last of eight. Although they may think you're spoiled, you're also an easy target. I often got blamed for a lot of things. Got blamed for a lot of things. And in my darkest moment as a five-year-old, in my moment of need, what did I need to bail me out? I needed someone who's willing to testify for me. How many of you found testimonies? Now, for me, that was going to my nieces, my nephews. There may have been some candy involved in getting the testimony. But we need a testimony when we find ourselves in these places where we are accused, when we're going, what's going to happen? We need someone willing to testify because even when it got me in trouble, I knew that the truth needed to be there. Because what does the truth do? The truth sets us free. Whatever side of it we're on, truth is always what's best for us. Truth is what gets us on the right path. Because truth sets us free, it doesn't always set us free in the way that we want it to be. 
So as we dive into this today, into the idea of testimony and credibility and truth, let's look at 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, verses 6 through 21. And here's what it says. It says, this is he who came by water and the blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony, here it is, that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life, and whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Verse 13 says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. And then John closes it by saying this. He says, little children, keep yourself from idols. His last words in this section. Little children, keep yourself from idols. So Lord, as we've now we've heard your word, Lord, let our hearts be responsive to what you would say to us. Let our lives be responsive to your truth. We know your truth sets us free. So Lord, set us free today. Set us free today as we gather together now around your word. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. And everyone said together, amen. So as we look at this passage today, we're focusing on two things. Two things we're focusing on. First of all, we're focusing on the testimony. Everyone say testimony. Testimony. And then secondly, we're focusing on the credibility of the witness. Say credibility. Credibility. It's not very often you get to say that word, is it? Okay? So we're focused on testimony and the credibility of the witness. So first of all, testimony. Now what is a testimony? Well, the dictionary defines it as an open acknowledgement, a public profession, or firsthand authentication of a fact. That sounds pretty clinical, doesn't it? Right? So this is a testimony. It's just the real-life story of what happened. After all, this is why Jesus came, wasn't it? 
Jesus came to be Emmanuel, God with us, to live it out, to show it, to be with us, to show us the, the truth. See, there's so much power in a reliable testimony. A reliable testimony, it reveals the truth and it settles the conflict. And this is true whether it's in a court of law or whether it's in your neighborhood or even your home. The power of reliable testimony, bringing the truth, it settles things. Light shines on it and we know how to move forward. But see, the power of a reliable testimony, it also shows the power of one. One life can make such a difference. One life has such power in the world that we live in today. And see, even as we look at Jesus, we see that, and we may notice the many, the thousands of people that Jesus talked to, and the thousands of people that Jesus taught and he fed. But what are the stories that we focus on? We focus on the one, the one that Jesus talked to. We focus on how Jesus went to the tax collector, Matthew, who was rejected and even hated by the Jewish people, and Jesus called him out and said, Matthew, I know you, I see you, I'm calling you out. We look at how Jesus met the woman at the well, and he talked to her. How Jesus protected the woman caught in adultery. How he talked to Nicodemus that so many, as he walked through life, seeing the thousands but focusing on the one. See, as we look at the life of Christ, we see very quickly that our authenticity, it comes down to how we treat the one who's in front of us. Sometimes the thousands and the millions and the billions can become overwhelming to us, but Jesus is saying, what are you going to do to that one person I bring across your path today? Are you willing to stop your rhythm to love that one person that I'm going to bring across your way today to love? This is the way of Christ. And Jesus gave us the testimony. So what is the testimony given to us? The testimony is in verse 11. It says, this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life, and whoever does not have the Son does not have life. So two things there he's pointing out. He's saying that, first of all, I'm giving you eternal life. This is the testimony. This is who you are. You are a soul, and your soul was made to last forever. Forever. The soul lasts forever. But he's also telling us that this is only possible through Jesus Christ. See, your soul was made to last forever, to be with God forever. Your heavenly Father, the one who made you, designed you. The masterpiece of God. But it's only possible through Jesus. And then John points out and answers the question, how do we know this is the testimony? How do we know this is true? John identifies three witnesses. Three witnesses. He says there are three that testify, the spirit and the water and the blood, and all three of these agree. And John's key witness is who? It's the Holy Spirit. The key witness is the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, co-equal with God, co-eternal with the Father and the Son. And Romans 8, 16, it says, the Spirit himself, it bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. I love how God keeps calling us his children. Isn't it good to know we have a heavenly Father who loves us and he treats us as his children? Here in this passage as well, though, we see that the Holy Spirit is our guide. He's our guide going in. And even in John 16, 13, it says that when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. See, the Holy Spirit is so many things. It empowers us. It helps us. 
But what John is underscoring here is he's saying that the Holy Spirit is our guide. How many of you like having a guide? How many of you have found yourself in a place where you're like, I wish I had a guide right now? I've been there many times. You know that I love the backpack, and I think I've shared with you before my backpacking tragedies, okay? <laughs> times I wish I had a guide. We don't have time for that today because I'm trying to build up a backpacking ministry here. But all of that to say, you need to have a guide, and the Holy Spirit is our guide. But see, a guide is only useful when we follow it. A guide is only useful when we listen to it. How many of you are familiar with GPS and Google Maps or the Apple Maps, all those things that are going on? Have you ever been in a car with somebody who had a GPS open and they still got lost? (laughs) I have. Why did they get lost? Because they didn't listen. One of the things you hate to hear when you're in a car with somebody is when the GPS says, turn around when possible. Calculating alternate route. See, the GPS is only as good as your ability to follow it. Why do we miss it? We get engaged in great things like good conversation or trying to find that next place to stop or a place to grab a coffee or whatever that may be, and we forget about this guy that we have. And in our life, too, is with the Holy Spirit. But just as a side note, this is why it is so important for those of us who follow Christ, that we know the Word of God. We know the Bible. Do you know that this is the Word of God? We need to know this because how many forget things that God has told you? I do. How many have a problem applying the things that God has told you? All right, we got a lot of people in denial, okay? It's, right? We need this. It's the Word of God because I forget, okay? It took me six months to know that my wife Stephanie's name was Stephanie and not Donna, Okay? We weren't dating yet. We weren't married yet, okay? (laughs) But we easily forget things. Or we go back to the original lie of the enemy that says, did God really say that? We need to know the Word of God. His Word, alive in us. We need this. But then John also goes on to say, the Holy Spirit key witness, but there are two others, two other supporting witnesses. He says, the water and the blood. Now, what does John mean by water? By water, he's referencing water baptism. Water baptism, which excites me about today. We have baptism going on today down at Richmond Beach. Isn't that awesome? Man, if I was being baptized, I would do this today, and I would even say, if you didn't sign up for it, just bring your bathing suit or just go on in with your clothes on, whatever. Come down and join us. As a kid, Our baptism was done that way. That's why I got baptized every summer as a kid, okay? (laughs) And I think my pastor just looked at me, and he went, you know what? I better baptize this kid every chance I can get (laughs) and lead him in the way of the Lord. It's water baptism. What is water baptism? It's just signifying that I've repented of my sins and I've dedicated my life to God. I've surrendered my life. And it's this experience of going under, saying no to the past and yes to God. And you do it in front of everybody so that everyone knows, the community knows, those that see you, they know it's a powerful act in our walk with God. It's not a step of salvation. Salvation is just confessing your sin to the Lord and receiving him. Believe plus receive equals become. But it's that moment where you stand up in community and say, God, you are my God, and I will follow you. I'm surrendered to you. 
if we follow the way of Christ in this. So that's water baptism. But then he also says that it's also through the blood. The blood testifies. What is the blood? This is the sacrifice of Jesus. It wasn't just a story. It wasn't just theory. But it was Jesus giving his life for us. Giving his life for you, for me, for everybody. While we were still in sin, while we were still rejecting him, dying for us and saying, I love you. I'm giving my life for you. See, there's power in testimony. A testimony is a powerful thing. But in order for a testimony to have power, it needs to be that second thing we're going to talk about today, and that's credibility. Say credibility. Credibility. Okay? Credibility. For a testimony to have power, it needs to be credible. See, the testimony is dependent on the one who is testifying. And even before a witness can testify in court, what do they do in court? They get the Bible out, they put your hand on it, and they swear you in and say, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? It needs to be the, the truth. It needs to be credible. Because, see, if we can discredit the one who's giving the testimony, the witness, you can discredit the testimony. So here John goes into the section now where he starts to talk about Two witnesses to the testimony. Two witnesses are identified. And the first one he talks about is God. And then he talks about followers of Christ. Two witnesses, God and followers of Christ. So let's talk about the credibility of those. How credible is God? Very credible. (laughs) God's testimony supersedes all of the testimonies. And even here in this passage... He talks about, he says, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. Remember, God is the sole possessor of truth. He's the only one who possesses all truth. And the theological term that we use for this is the word omniscient. Omniscient comes from two Latin words that mean all-knowing. So what do we mean by this word omniscient? I love how this one theologian says it. And I'm going to read this straight. Here's what this one theologian says. He says, when we say that God is omniscient, it means that he has perfect knowledge of all things. He does not have to learn anything, and he has not forgotten anything. God does not have to reason things out or find out things or learn them gradually. He knows everything that has happened and everything that will happen. God also knows every potential thing that might happen. God even knows those things that humankind has yet to discover. This knowledge is absolute and unacquired. The omniscience of God means that he has perfect knowledge, perfect understanding, perfect wisdom, and knows how to apply the knowledge. Now, does that sound pretty credible? He's perfect. He doesn't need to learn anything because he knows anything. No one's ever said that to me. No one's ever, ever said, Dwayne, you, you know everything, even though I'm the baby of the family, okay? God, he knows everything. He's all-knowing. Everything that was, everything that will be. Perfect and complete. This is our God. But in the power and the majesty, omniscient, holy God, what does God choose to do in all of his wisdom? He chooses to get personal with you and me. He's personal. He's not just in a book. The great A.W. Tozer describes God this way. He says, His knowledge of our afflictions and adversities is more than theoretic. 
It is personal and warm and compassionate. Whatever may befall us, God knows and cares as no one else can. Think about that. God who knows everything. God who is everywhere. He wants to get personal with you. Personal with me. He uses his knowledge to reach us and to speak into our lives. To lead us and to guide us. See, the credibility of God's testimony is amazing because it's perfect. I'm not perfect by far, but God is perfect in all of his ways, and God has revealed it to us. That's why John, in this section, he gives us a warning, and this is a pretty strong warning, and I think it's a very hard warning even for us in the culture that we live in today. But he says that disbelieving God comes with a warning. And here's the warning. The warning is that disbelieving God, it compromises a person's credibility. Now think about that. We're in a culture where we value free speech. I love free speech. Free speech is what enables me to to do what I'm doing today. But as it relates to God, John says here in verse 10, he says, whoever does not believe God has made him a liar. See, when we choose to disbelieve God, we stand in opposition to him. Does that seem like a pretty strong line to you? It does, doesn't it? Okay? And that's one of the lines that I've been going over all week. (laughs) Because it's a very strong line. We're not often used to those lines in some arenas. In some arenas, they're very strong lines. But John, why would you say... To disbelieve God is to make him a liar. God is so credible, perfect in all of his ways, that there is no neutrality in this. See, at one point or another in all of our lives, we've been in this position. How many of you have been in a position of disbelief? Okay? We have all been in this position of disbelieving God. And it says in Colossians 1.21, it says this includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Ouch. It's hard to think being an enemy of God, isn't it? Okay? But exhibit A of someone who was an enemy of God is your pastor. Hello. We were all once there. That's the whole point of the gospel, is in reconciling. Because what John is saying is there's no messing around. Because though God is personal, and he's loving, and he's giving, he is holy, he's to be revered, he is the one that we look at and we stand in awe of who he is. See, liar is one of the strongest accusations that can be made, and it's one of the strongest accusations that can be made in court. If you go to a court of law and you present false witness where you lied, do you know what that's called? It's called perjury. There we go. All of our legal people are in the audience. Okay? You go to court of law, and you misrepresent, you tell a lie in there, they call that perjury. Now, perjury is a serious offense. Perjury is a felony, and it has all the weight behind it of fines, jail time. But not only that, in some states, if you are found to be guilty of perjury, you can also 
be charged as an accessory to a crime. Okay? This even happened to me kind of growing up. Growing up when you were a kid, did you ever find somebody in trouble and you kind of went in along with them and you kind of jumped in the lie with them? Am I the only sinner in the room today? I mean, (laughs) is it only kids from Newfoundland that mess up? (laughs) Okay? So growing up, there were times I I could be bought off for an Oreo. That was my price as a kid, okay? (laughs) If you had poutine, I was yours for life. But an Oreo could buy me off as a kid. So coming in, there were times I would jump into a lie. So when I would jump into a lie with that person and it was found out that that person was lying, guess who else was now found guilty? Me. And guess who else got the consequences of that action? Me. This is, this is serious stuff. But that's why we have a Heavenly Father who loves us. See, it's because God loves us and he cares about us that he looks at us and he knows that we were in opposition to him where we were even enemies with him standing against his truth. Where God says, I care about your credibility. I want to make you credible. This this is what a a parent does, doesn't it? (laughs) You see your kid messing up, you want to jump in and say, I want to help you. I'm willing to fight for you. Even when you're in opposition for me, how many parents your kids have ever stood in opposition to you? Okay? (laughs) Or an aunt or an auntie or whoever you are. When you're involved with kids growing up, there are times that they're going to stand in opposition to you, to a truth that you know. It starts off with, if you don't look both ways crossing the street, you can get in trouble. I did that one. (laughs) If you don't put on the seatbelt when the car backs out, you can fall out of the car. I did that one while eating ice cream. Because God loves us and cares about us, he cares about our credibility. And it says in here that he made a way for us to have this credibility, and the credibility is through Jesus. It's the credibility through Jesus. 1 John 5.10, it says, Whoever believes in the Son of God has this testimony in himself. It's our credibility through Jesus. you got street cred. It's through Jesus. This is who it is. But... Our sin, our rejection has to be dealt with. This is the, ah, can we just move on? Can we just move on? But God in his great love, he says, because I love you, we need to deal with it. And here in this section, John identifies two types of sin. How many of you are you're, you're excited to talk about sin this morning? You're like, I'm so glad Pastor Dwayne's talking about sin. You ready? It's family day. Let's talk about sin. <laughs> This just came up in the series, okay? This is the Word of God. He, he pulls out, there are two types of sin. And the first one that he talks about is the sin that leads to death. The sin that leads to death. Now, what is John talking about here? When John says that there is a sin that leads to death, and then he talks about a sin that does not lead to death, the sin that leads to death, this is the unrepentant sin. This is that denial we don't come to God in confession. We don't recognize God. We don't recognize Jesus in our life. Jesus is the way of reconciling us to God. This is the unrepentant sin. That's why confession is so important. See, God doesn't force his forgiveness upon you. He makes it available, but he can't force it upon you. And that's the way that we live our lives, don't we? 
See, forcing somebody to conform, forcing somebody to go down and do what you want, that's not love, is it? Right? As much as somebody may want to force me down a path, you can do that for a while, but when the force lets up, there's still that issue that hasn't been dealt with, whatever it may be. It's not a path of coercion. It's a freely offered. But in order to receive forgiveness, we need to confess and come to the Lord. This is that sin that leads to death because without it, there is no life. But then John, he also talks about this sin that does not lead to death. See, the sin that does not lead to death, this is a sin that when we repent of it, God does what? He forgives. Because the reality is God's waiting. He's saying, look, it's it's free choice for you. Dwayne, I'd love to bring you in, okay? But it's up to you. Because that's what love does. Love is the freedom to accept and receive, but it's also the freedom to reject. That's where the power lies. So he's saying that there's a sin that does not lead to death. It doesn't need to lead there. He says, if we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. This is the love of God. This is the love of God. And John here, he even wraps this up by giving us the keys to maintaining credibility. Because when we give our lives to Christ and we surrender and his life is in us, now there's a walk of growing in Christ, isn't it? Because I don't know if you're like me, and I'm, I'm going to say this, I'm sure I'm the only one, okay? But when I gave my life to Christ, that didn't take away all my temptations. I know that's only people from Newfoundland, Canada that have that problem. Right? When we give our life to Christ, here's the difference. Now, his spirit is in us. His spirit is now leading us and guiding us and empowering us, and we're walking in forgiveness with him. Now, step by step, day by day, moment by moment with the Lord, it's getting stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. But John, in this passage, he's outlining the importance of having a life of prayer. Everyone say prayer. 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 Yay! There we go. Thank God for these packets. There we go. It's prayer. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So what is prayer? When I was a kid, I used to think that prayer was the most boring thing in the world. And I would hear about, like I would hear things about, like heaven is just going to be one big prayer service. I was like, no, I don't want to go there. Because, is this my confessional today? I don't know what's going on. Because, what I experienced growing up, experienced some very powerful things, but I sat through a lot of moments. I was like, man, I can't wait to get out of here and go play with my Tonkas again. Those are cars. But see, that's not what he's talking about. What is prayer? See, prayer is the continual surrender and the alignment of our hearts to God. Because he says, if you ask anything in my name, according to my will, in God's ways, it will be done. But what does it take for us to align our life to God? It's surrendering, and the way that we commune with God is through prayer, that continual prayer. Prayer is times when I go away and I get all by myself. 
whether it's on a run, a bike ride, walking by a path, or kneeling down at a chair, walking through this auditorium, walking through our city. Even right now, there's an internal prayer going on saying, God, please help me. Please help me to say your truth and your wisdom, not just what would come from my heart, but your words. And in that act of prayer, God transforms us because we're talking to him. We're listening to him. We're spending that devoted time of constantly saying, God, what would you have me do? Speak to me, Lord. Speak, your servant is listening. That's why Richard Foster says it this way. Richard Foster said, to pray is to change. He says, this is a great grace. How good of God to provide a path whereby our lives can be taken over by love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Who wants that? I do. I want all those things. This is a path of prayer. This is a path of prayer. St. Augustine said it this way. He said, true whole prayer is nothing but love. When you look at the life of Christ, this is what Jesus did, constantly withdrawing, constantly getting off to himself to pray and to spend time alone with his heavenly Father. And his disciples and those around him were often confused by that because he'd be with thousands of people and they're ready to take him on a road tour and they look around and go, where's Jesus? He's pulling away. He's spending that time alone with his father. It's the value of prayer. You ask anything in my name, according to my will, it will be done. But it takes aligning our heart. And that's that spending that time with God, saying, God, what would you say to me? What would you speak to me? And sometimes that takes time. There are times when I hit an end of prayer, and I'm not ready to listen because my mind's going a million miles a minute. Okay? When I'm running, my pace may only be a 10-minute mile, but my, my mind can go just into overdrive. So I sit there, and I wait, and I say, Lord, calm my spirit. Flood through me. There's times I stand in the Lord's presence, and I'm in physical pain. I'm saying, Lord, just heal me, restore me, be with me, be alive in me. It's that power of prayer is positioning us for what God would do in, in our lives. It's the power of prayer, aligning our heart. And then the second thing, and these are John's last words in this. John's last words. He looks and he says, little children. Little children. Who's that? Us. All of us. Little children, stay away from idols. Stay away from idols, talking about the importance of prayer, surrendering your life to Christ. He says, stay away from idols. Now, sometimes we may think of an idol as like a little statue or some other thing that we have, but I love how Tim Keller describes what an idol is. Tim Keller says, an idol is anything more important to you than God. Listen to that. An idol is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. He says a counterfeit God is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. An idol has such a controlling position in your heart 
that you can spend most of your passion, most of your energy, your emotional and financial resources on it without giving a second thought. And oftentimes, an idol in your life will be manifested when you're stressed. When we are stressed, when we are heavy and weary laden, when we are overwhelmed with anxiety, when anxiety just rushes in, what should our response be? Go into the Lord in prayer. Cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. But what are some of the traps that we often fall in? There's lots of traps, aren't there? There are vices that we run to. And there are some things that we'll run to that we may not see as necessarily bad. But again, thinking about anything that gets in the place of God. One of the vices that we often run to is Netflix. Okay? I have Netflix. (laughs) Okay? I always start personal. But there are times in my life when I'm stressed out, anxiety comes in, when I should be running to God and saying, God, here here I kneel before you. And I I pray to God a lot. But there are times I, I get stressed out. I'm not saying Netflix is bad, but when that replaces God, there's a problem, isn't it? When my stress release, instead of going to God and saying, God, what would you have me do? To start binge-watching Netflix. Now, you hear what I'm saying, right? I'm not saying everyone go home and cancel Netflix. I'm not. But what I'm saying is that so many times in our life, something that's good can replace the thing that's great. Is that resonating with anybody this morning? Now, for you, it may be something different. But this is our path. Our path is walking in our life with God and saying, God, you are my God. You've given this testimony to me, but he's put in this credibility warning of how are you going to live your life. It's in keeping your life before him. And as the worship team comes this morning, before we head down and have an incredible time at the beach, I believe it's very important for us to just to take a moment just to reflect on this today. And one of the things that I would ask yourself is, you know what? Just ask yourself, as I listen to that definition of what an idol is, are there any idols in my life? Is there anything in my life that has taken the place of who God should be? And that can be a lot of things. Just ask yourself, if this was taken away, if this was turned off, how would I respond? In your listening guide, there's a bunch of questions that you can just kind of take this time to, to process and go through. But ask yourself, you know, what is my testimony? Is the power of God revealed in me? Is the fruit of the Spirit alive in me? And these are questions that are not meant to condemn you. Who condemns you? Satan condemns, God redeems. See, the voice of Satan will say, you do this, and you run to Netflix, and you run to that thing instead of God. You're a bad person. But know what God's saying? Turn it off, come to me. (laughs) You want life to the full? Come to me. Be alive in me. Are you downtrodden and heavy laden? Come to me. Do you need help in coming to me? I gave you the body of Christ. 
that can help you encourage one another to come to me. When you ask yourself and you evaluate your life, it's like a physical, right? I go to the doctor every year to get a physical. And how, how wrong would it be for a doctor to see something wrong in me and not tell me about it? Something that could destroy me. It's the same thing with God. God's looking and saying, Dwayne, I love you. Now, let's deal with this. Let's take care of this in your life because I want you to walk in that fullness of God. Let's just take a moment to respond to the word of the Lord. Can we all stand together? You know, as we talk about the water and the blood, for those of you that you come every week, these are important habits that we do. If you want to respond by coming up and just partaking in communion, if you want to walk with somebody and say, you know what, can you come up with me and pray? <laughs> I need someone to pray with me today. Go do communion together. Turn to your neighbor. Go to the prayer wall. We have prayer teams on the side. Go, go pray with them. But before we rush out, let's just take a few moments as the worship team plays and sings and says, God, search my heart. I want to walk in the fullness of you today. So, Lord, help us now to receive your word. Sometimes a very tough word, but it's a surgical word. Blow in our lives. Blow in our heart. Oh, God. Reveal to us anything that would get in the way. And then show us how to just to bring it to you, to receive that forgiveness, to receive that fullness of life. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's, let's take a moment to respond to the Lord today. Thank you.